You're listening to the Truth and Boots podcast. Join me as we search the Bible for truth about our God, for hope to encourage us through hard trials and struggles, and for answers for anyone who questions our faith. The truth of God's word is not fragile, impractical, and only used on special occasions like a pair of stiletto heels. God's word, like a pair of sturdy boots, is meant to be put to work daily and is designed to protect us and help us through the mud, streams, and rocks of life. This week on the podcast, we're starting a new series about our salvation. The first section of this, we're going to be looking at God's character and considering his character in light of salvation, putting the truth, the doctrine of what we learn in the Bible about who God is, and then seeing the implications of that in our own daily lives with our salvation. And then we'll move on to a section on um, the doctrine of sin and salvation and more practical applications of that to our lives. So I am super excited to start sharing this series with you. Today we're discussing the topic of God's unchanging nature and our salvation. It's been said that there are only two things that are certain in life death and taxes. As an accountant, I can tell you that taxes are by no means certain. Um, The government's constantly changing the rules and regulations, so you have to constantly keep up with, okay, do I take this deduction now, or what's the new tax rate? And then there are those people who make so little money that the government ends up paying them to live instead of the other way around. So there is nothing certain about taxes. It is only death that is an absolute. And that is because death is ordered by God and taxes are ordered by man. Man changes, man isn't permanent. We, we have different opinions from one day to the next, but God is immutable. He is unchanging. And it's because God has ordered the penalty of death that we can know that someday we all will die. So let's take a look at this doctrine of immutability, of God's unchanging nature. If you do a search of the Bible on the word change, not a whole lot of verses pop up. But what I want to try to demonstrate to you now is that this doctrine that God does not change is actually widespread and taught from the first book through the end. Um, We're just going to hit some highlight verses, but if you're interested in more, I have a few more on truthandboots.com and the resource page. But my main goal for you is to understand that this doctrine and the others that we look at aren't coming from some obscure passage in the Bible. No, it is widely taught, and that is why we call it a doctrine. So let's start in Exodus 3. Exodus 3, 14, God is speaking to Moses from the burning bush, and he says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God's title there that he introduces to Moses or to anyone for the first time, the I am. 
And I don't know Hebrew, but based on what I've been told, I am implies um, eternality. It implies an unchanging nature. Um, God has been, he is, and he will always be. He will always be the same. So from the very beginning, when God uses this term, I am, he's showing to Moses his unchanging nature. And then you move to Job 23.13. It's clearly stated there. Um, Job says, but he, God, is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. And then Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Let's move to the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3, 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul there is telling Timothy, we may change, but God will always be the same. He will be faithful because he cannot deny himself. He cannot be something different. There is no possibility that God will change. And then Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And of course, Jesus Christ is God. He will not change. So some practical implications of this. I told you that the only certain thing is death, but there are more certain things in life right now. What about gravity? I mean, what kind of universe would it be if gravity did not always consistently behave the way it's supposed to? What happens if instead of when you dropping, drop an apple, instead of falling down, it falls up? Or if you try to throw a ball to your son, Instead of going at him, because you know exactly how gravity is supposed to work, instead of doing that, it starts veering off in another direction. No, planets would spin away from each other, and the solar system and the galaxies and the universe would cease to exist in an orderly fashion because they don't have the force of gravity. Gravity is a constant because the God who ordered it is constant. Or what about math? 2 plus 2 will always equal 4 because God designed it that way. He is a God of order and a God of beauty and, and consistency. So math will stay the same. You won't have new rules, not like with our hu human living language. Language constantly changes. English that we speak today is not what we spoke 1,500 years ago. Um, and that is a construct of man. Yes, originally ordered by God, but we have changed it and manipulated it. But math, math is reliable. Two plus two will always equal four because God ordered it. So... You can go on with practical implications, seeing how God holds the universe together because of his very nature. But let's look 
back at God's character again and see some more indirect implications from the scripture about our God. Because God will never change, his character will never change. That means he will always be sovereign. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11 says, Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Calling the bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. God is sovereign. He will always be sovereign. If he is not always sovereign, then he may try to purpose something one day, but hundred years down the line, suddenly his purpose is thwarted. And that means he is not sovereign. So because God cannot change, the fact that he is sovereign is something you can rely upon. Or what about God being love? Lamentations 3.22 The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. If God's love could not be counted on, I mean, what kind of security is that? But no, God's love can be counted on today and tomorrow, so his steadfast love will not cease. God will always be powerful. He will always be holy. He will always be just. Because he will always be just, you can rely upon fairness to everything he does. There are so many implications of the moment you start messing with this attribute of God, um, his entire nature starts being called into question. So throughout scripture, as you can see, it's indirectly taught this immutability of God. But let's take the reverse of that. Because God's character will never change, that means he will never be capricious. He will never be deceitful. Hebrews 6.18 says it is impossible for God to lie. And that's impossible, yes, because he is truth, but it's impossible because God cannot change and one day be able to say a lie. God will never be vindictive. He will never be unforgiving. His forgiveness is there for you forever. God will never be bitter. He will never be abusive. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. God will never be impatient. And he will never be selfish. Because God is unchanging, you have security to know that this great loving God will always be there for you just the way the scriptures say. Now let I've implied a few things, but let's go to how God's character shows up in our salvation. First, the standard of perfection for salvation will not change. He ordered it that way from the beginning of creation. 
God has expected perfect obedience from us as humans. He told Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of it, you will die. And it only took one disobedience, one sin, for Adam and Eve to be kicked out of the garden and separated from the fellowship of God. He ordered it perfect obedience, and he stuck to perfect obedience. He had to, because he is just and cannot change, he had to punish Adam and Eve. And because Adam sinned, we have inherited his propensity to sin, his nature to sin. And so now all of us are sinning. And that shows up when God chose the Israelites for his own people and then took them out of Egypt. Exodus 32 is right after God's given the Ten Commandments to Moses. And Moses is up on the Mount Sinai getting the rest of the commandments and how to worship God and all those details. And the children of Israel, who just saw God save them mightily from slavery, suddenly decide we don't want to serve him the way he wants to be served anymore. So let's create a golden calf. These are the gods who brought us out of Egypt. And we're going to go back there because slavery was so much better than this freedom with God leading us. So Moses comes down from the mountain and God is talking to Moses saying, I want to destroy this people and I will start over with you. I will make a great nation out of you. It was just one disobedience that made Israel to not meet God's perfect standard. But of course, Moses appealed and God said, yes, I will relent. I will forgive them because you have asked for forgiveness, but they must still be punished. It doesn't stop there. Psalm 14, 2 through 3 says of the children of Israel and the rest of mankind, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And then Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 1-4, Ah, sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. God's standard of perfection was not met by Adam and Eve, was not met by the Israelites on their way out of Egypt or after they came into the promised land. There were tons of prophets warning the people of Israel to repent, to go back to their sacrifices, to the correct worship of God and to only worship God. But they did not obey. They did not repent. And then even in the New Testament, Um, And today, we fail to meet God's perfect standard. Romans 3, 9 through 10 says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, or Gentiles, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. And that is a quote from Psalm 14 that I read before. And then in verse 20, 
Paul goes on to say, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Yes, God gave us the Ten Commandments. He gave them to us so that we would understand how perfect we had to be in order to be in obedience to him and receive redemption, receive life. But God is not going to change his standard. And if God is one day judging us at his judgment seat, you can't say, hey, God, I did a lot of good. So can you take that in consideration? And God will say, I guess you did good enough. So sure, you can come into heaven. No, God doesn't change. So even once you die and someday down the road or standing before him, his perfection, standard of perfection is going to stay the same. We failed. And that standard is as certain as the fact that an apple will always fall to the ground because God is unchanging. Now, since no human can meet God's standard of perfection, he himself had to die for us because only God is perfect. Romans 3 says, We have been given the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all belief. God's righteousness, God's perfection is given to us through Christ Jesus. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God's gift of salvation will also never change. Yes, God's standard is perfection and that won't change, but God has given us a gift. Salvation through Jesus Christ. There are no new rules or regulations that I have to look out for. God said Jesus Christ's sacrifice covers everything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to keep checking back to see if, oh, is there a new rule that I have to be accounted for? Or did the tax deadline change or did, you know, something like that? No, he's not human government. His rules, free gift of salvation is permanent. There's nothing you need to consider. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14 says, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at a service offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. The Old Testament law, all those priests sacrificing all those animals, that is not necessary because Christ sacrificed once, and that is enough. Hebrews goes on to say, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Sitting down shows evidence that he has to do nothing else. There is nothing new, no changes to your salvation. His act was final, and there is nothing in addition that needs to happen. Down to the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There are no new rules or regulations that you have to look out for. 
Christ's sacrifice was enough. And that, because God will not change, that promise will not change. Also, his gift of salvation is completely independent of anything I do. I can't be bad enough to disqualify myself from salvation. No, Romans 3.10 says no one is righteous. There's no degree of badness. It's a black and white issue, not a gray issue. We are either obedient or not obedient. So you can't ever be bad enough for God to change his mind and say, oh, wait a second. This salvation is, is, does not apply to you. No, God said it's free for everyone. It's completely independent of anything I do. It's a gift. It's not a transaction. I don't do anything for it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. So I don't have to do anything. There's no new rules, nothing I have to look out for. And finally, once I receive his forgiveness, I will always have it. John 6, 35 through 40, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That is a promise from the unchanging God. If you come to Jesus, he will not cast you out. Not someday because you do something wrong. Not someday because he changes the rules. No, it's completely because of who he is. For I have come down from heaven, he goes on, and not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up that on that last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on that last day. Christ promised that those who believe in him will receive forgiveness for their sins. Christ promised that he, Christ, God, would raise us up to eternal life. Our salvation is as certain as two plus two equals four because God does not change. Yes, God's standard of perfection does not change, but God's gift of salvation will never change. You cannot lose it once you have it. You don't have to do anything new or addition. There's no new revelation that you have to look out for. It is fixed. It is permanent. And that is because your God does not change. Hebrews 6. Let's end with this. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, i.e. the children of Israel, and by extension, us, the church, when God desired to show more convincingly the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope. 
God swore, because he could not swear by anything greater than himself, he swore by himself, it says previously in the passage. So that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope set before us. And that is our hope of eternal life. Our hope is secure because God does not change.